So we're going to do a Holy Man episode now that it's on Blu-ray? <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot about that movie. And so did I. It was I was at Fry's today, and it was just amongst all the uh, other like brand new Blu-rays. And I was like, why would they even bother? Can only be enjoyed in glorious 1080p. <laughs> I mean, if you want to get the full experience, that's true. Hey guys, hey, what's up? You know, just doing what I do, watching Holy Man in 1080p. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, follow the White Rabbit. I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barton. And this is Mad uh, About Movies. Da, 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 da. You sound insane. You realize that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Mad About Movies is your go to podcast for all things cinema. Every week we talk movie news, movie rumors, and movie rumblings and break down our chosen movie of the week. But don't worry if you haven't seen it. Because we will warn you before we go into spoilers. And remember to stay tuned till the end of the show for weekly recommends, in which each of us suggests something that you need to check out ASAP. And remember, you can find all of our episodes on iTunes and on our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. This week's movie of the week is what? Brian Gill. This week we're going to give you a throwback to 1999's The Matrix. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? It's the question that drives us, Neo. What is the Matrix? It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. So, I saw Dolphin Tale 2 for nothing, I guess? (laughs) Sorry. Well, Ashley Judd, you saw it for Ashley (laughs) Right. I saw it because it's an inspiring story about a dolphin who needed a tail. Of the most necessary sequels of all time, does that rank pretty up there? (laughs) Most necessary sequels, Dolphin Tale 2. Is that really what it's about, getting a dolphin a tail? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) The first one is based on a true story. I don't know about this one. I mean, if you've seen seen Dolphin Tale 1, you know, you can't get the whole story in an hour and a half. I mean, it takes two movies to really get the... Well, I heard they they played it the whole time, and, uh, you know, they shot them all as one. Oh, okay. It's yeah. like a big cinematic like achievement. <laughs> it's part two. It's not yeah. necessarily a sequel. Yeah, sure. The third movie is actually broken into four parts. <laughs> so it's basically The Hobbit for dolphins. <laughs> nice. I'm in. <laughs> so this is a film, The Matrix, that has come up numerous times on the show in, uh, in random conversations, in other throwback episodes, in a discussion Brian and I had a, a couple of weeks ago regarding films that were released in 1999. So The Matrix is celebrating its 15th anniversary this year, and uh, what a better time to talk about The Matrix than now. Uh, other, otherwise, we'd be waiting five years from now till the 20th anniversary, and I don't think this discussion could wait that long. So here we are. We've all screened The Matrix, and uh, we're, we're going to give it our typical throwback uh, episode feel. We're going to talk about how well it holds up, likes and dislikes, things that we don't remember being that good or bad. Etc. So look forward to that conversation a little bit later in the show. Yes. Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. As we sit today, uh, September the second, two thousand and fourteen, really marks the end of the summer movie season. All the big blockbusters have come out and come and gone. Last year we did a a summer recap episode. And so for movie news, rumors, rumblings this week, guys, I just want to take a look back 
at this past summer. And uh, by summer, I think we should start mid to late April. So if you can jog your memory, I I think I should count mid to late April as summer. Um, If anyone's opposed to that, uh, too bad. But so I I think summer started early April this year. Captain America was the I think was the beginning of summer. Strangely. So let's go back and let's take a little look back at what at what this summer was cinematically. What stuck out? What was disappointing? And uh, let's talk about a little recap of our summer. So as we stand right now, the highest grossing film of 2014 is Guardians of the Galaxy. As it should be. Domestically, it has made uh, $280 million right now. Dang. And I I haven't seen the foreign box office, but Brian, if you could look that up real quick. I'm sure that's astronomical. We're at $554 million worldwide. Wow. That's pretty impressive. It so is. I think looking at the summer, uh, personally, I'm going to do my personal favorite of the summer was Guardians. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my most anticipated of the summer coming into it. Uh, I kind of knew what it, what it could be, but it was just a big question of whether it was going to live up to the promise that it had uh, from all the buzz, the casting that we had seen, the director, the comics, etc. And uh, of course, the track record that Marvel has been on, the stellar track record. That Marvel has been on. So I don't think Guardians really let anybody down. I'd be very surprised to meet somebody that was that was disappointed by that movie. Um, I went and saw it with probably five other people. Um, I was the only person who had even heard of Guardians of the Galaxy. And everyone that I was with left just raving about it. And just was like, man, that's I don't think I've seen a, a summer blockbuster that's been that fun and entertaining in a long time. They're talking about Groot. They're talking about the music. They're talking about the effects. I mean, it was just several areas of the film that people were all, you know, ranting and raving about uh, following that. So that was my favorite movie of the summer. And I have a feeling it might be some of y'all's favorites of the summer. But let's go around in a circle right now and, and just talk about some of our favorite moments, movies of the summer. Uh, Guardians was my number one. If I was to pick a second one, honestly... Uh, I would say Godzilla was probably the, my second favorite just experience in a theater this summer. And there are, there are others that I could name that I could maybe mention here as honorable mentions a little bit in a second. But um, those were the two. Like when I look back at this summer, next year, five years from now, whenever, uh, those are the two that I say, wow, that was a great summer. Just from those two, two films. And I have a feeling that those two might uh, be in contention for my top ten of the year come later uh, in 2014. So Brian, what was your favorite, uh, favorite film to screen this year? What was your, your favorite experience? Yeah. Guardians is, uh, would be my favorite movie of the, of the summer as well. Um, I think boyhood was the best movie that I saw this summer. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, the difference between best and, and favorite is we've are well established on this show anyway. Uh, guardians was just such a blast and I, man, I had a lot of fun with it and I'm, I never got a chance to go back and see it again. So I'm, I'm excited for the inevitable Blu-ray purchase and, and binge watching over and over and over and over again. Um, Godzilla was a lot of fun too. Captain America was, you know, kicked off the season way, way too early. And in hindsight, they absolutely should have opened that, uh, July 4th, just to capitalize on a, a really weak, uh, July 4th weekend. And not only that, but to capitalize on the freaking birth of America. Yeah, exactly. Come on guys. Captain America. Are you stupid? (laughs) Uh, I think that would have been a perfect opportunity, but oh, well, I digress. Yeah. That would have been like, uh, that's, that's one of my favorites that comes out on Blu-ray next week. And I'm, I'm really excited to go back and watch it again. 
Uh, Godzilla was really a fantastic experience in theater. I'll be interested to see how that holds up uh, on a, on a Blu-ray or a home viewing uh, purchase and whatnot because it's it was just such an experience in the theater. I don't know how well that will translate, but I'm with you, Kent. This was a really good summer. That it, it was strange in that we had several weeks where absolutely nothing came out that we had any interest in seeing, um, and I don't feel like there was a there was a, a quantity of films that we were excited about, but the quality of the five or eight best movies we saw this summer was really, really high, much higher. I think than like last year's was. Yeah. Surprisingly. And, and mm-hmm. I remember in that episode, which you could go back and listen to our summer recap from last year. But if I remember correctly, we were also high on last year's movies. So we were like, man, Next year is going to be really tough to compete with mm-hmm. 2013 because we know that 2015 is going to be big with the Avengers 2 coming out and uh, and pretty much every other big film has been slated for 2015. Yeah. Um, so we thought this was going to be kind of a laxed year that you know it's going to take at least two years to make all their big budget movies so that this will be an off year. But I agree, Brian. It's uh, it was far from that in my opinion. Yeah. Richard, Richard, what was your favorite uh, movie of the summer? Mine was Boyhood. Uh, okay. So not necessarily a stereotypical summer movie, but uh was my favorite probably Captain America Godzilla 2 and Ga- and Guardians would probably be like 3 or 4 for me. But overall this summer, I mean it wasn't my favorite. I mean it was definitely probably better than expected, but it it was everything was kind of a downer to me. I don't know. But Guardians was pretty fun. Uh, I guess in in some ways, like pop star da- Lena Del Rey, I got that summertime sadness. Um <laughs> Sorry, I stole that from my sports center audition. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, but really, I, like this summer kind of just left me a little bit bummed. I'm super excited for next summer. I think I might have liked last summer a little more. Uh, Boyhood kind of filled that way way back role. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't still wasn't like as feel good fun summery as that one was. Um, and I, I was I, I'm I'm really excited more next year for you know Avengers and all those big kind of t- nothing this summer fe- felt totally tentpole i mean there were some accidental tentpole movies but nothing really set, felt like purposeful um tentpole but there weren't any like flops i mean there was no ripd this year um <laughs> or anything like that it was yeah. a little bit of a down like morose summer for me but it was but fine i mean it's that's fine yeah, I felt like last year we were getting two or three movies a week. And yeah. Even if you didn't love whatever the big mainstream movie was, there was something coming out that you could uh, you could latch onto, like the way way back. Or we didn't, or Richard and I at least didn't particularly care for Spectacular Now, but at least that was something something a little different that we we were a little bit excited about going into. Um, this year just felt like there was seven, eight, maybe ten movies that were that were enjoyable and that were good, and you know. Uh, Kent and I are much higher on Guardians than Richard is, but regardless, they just were spread out throughout the throughout a four month period yeah. instead of kind of back to back to back to back to back like what we're used to during the summer. So the kind of I don't know it led to a strange I don't know it just felt strange throughout the whole summer. Like I was a little burnt out, but also not quite getting the fix that I want from summer movies at the same time. But it was uh, it's an odd odd year, I think. You're right, and I want to go back and just read this list of what was last year, just to jog our memory a little bit. Uh, so if we start off last, uh, I guess we'll say April 24th, 2013, was Oblivion, followed by The Place Beyond the Pines, Iron Man 3, The Great Gatsby, and then we got Star Trek Into Darkness, Fast 6, Now You See Me, 
<laughs> Can you believe that was the end of May, uh, summer last year? That's crazy to think. Um, Man of Steel, World War Z, This is the End, Monsters U, The Lone Ranger, Pacific Rim, RIPD, The Wolverine, The Way Way Back, and Elysium. So that was really our, and I think the world's end, we said, capped off the summer for us. So sure. that was um, far more numbers than, uh, than we have this year. If we're, if we're starting at Captain America, Brian, yeah, uh, some that should be mentioned here. Draft Day could be counted as a summer film. Transcendence also. Remember that Oof. movie? Yeah. <laughs> Barely. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Could be considered a, a summer movie. So I'm pretty high as well. I'm really high on Boyhood, actually. I just don't think of it when I think of summer, of this summer. I don't know. I, I think like when I, my memory is jogged in a few years, I'll think of more, I think of it more as an Oscar type movie. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll, well, I'll have to do a double take and be like, that came out in the summer. You right. know, I could have yeah, sworn that was like It definitely doesn't feel like a summer movie. Like even the way, way back, which is not a stereotypical summer movie. It's set in the summer and it kind of had that summer vacation feel to it. Uh, but boyhood, I mean, I'm glad it got released when it did just because it gave us a break from all the big blockbustery type movies and stuff, but it doesn't fit in the summer at all. You're right. Yeah. I think a big deal or maybe a lack of success was uh, sort of a lack of Warner Brothers this this summer. We know that they had the Wachowskis Jupiter Ascending that was supposed to uh, that was supposed to come out this well, summer. That, and they're preparing the Dawn of Justice. I mean, they've got to put all the attention. Right. But I mean, as far as as far as summer, this was really sort of a laxed year. I mean, they had Godzilla and they had Edge of Tomorrow, which really didn't connect with people. Um, yeah. Lo- I mean, the large scale audience. Although it ended up making a pretty decent uh, little dollar, it did well overseas too. So that that helped. But yeah, but there was no DC property this summer, and there was no uh, Wachowski property this summer too. And I think that oh. sort of. Godzilla sort of faded off by you know week three. They they did have Tammy, which <laughs> which none of us saw. They also had Jersey Boys into the storm, all big flops. Strong Banner. summer for them. Yeah, and Dolphin Banner Tale too last week. Later this year they have uh, Interstellar, in, in Inherent Vice, and they uh, the Hobbit film, uh, Battle of Five Armies. So they should just stop releasing movies in the summer. Yeah, and just crush in the <laughs> November. And, and it seems like they will this year. I'm sure Interstellar will do pretty yeah. good. I'm sure The Hobbit will <laughs> do quite good on its own. Uh, let's go on to biggest disappointments. Uh, I know we were hyped up for a lot of these movies. A lot of them didn't live up to our personal expectations. I know for sure, for a fact. So I'm going to go with biggest disappointment. Maybe I'm going to have to say Neighbors. Honestly, mm, uh, yeah, I, I was expecting a lot from. Anytime Rogan is attached to something, and the the Goldberg uh, Rogan duo is is behind the helm of something, I really do. I look forward to it all year, and uh, this seemed like a funny premise to me. Um, I guess you could argue that it's funny, but uh, I mean, just personally, it didn't connect with me at all. I didn't find it funny. I think I smiled twice in the theater, if I remember correctly. Uh, didn't really live up to my expectations. Um, so that was my biggest disappointment. I, I'm just amazed at how how many movies this summer met my expectations if not exceeded them i was let down by a million ways to die in the west too <laughs> not that i had higher expectations for that than neighbors but um seth mcfarland's a, a respectable 
comedic mind, I, I think, uh, in my opinion. So that one let me down too. Ryan, what was your biggest letdown of the summer? Yeah, Neighbors is a good one because I wasn't that enthused about it going in, but everybody – I mean it got such good reviews and people have had such great word of mouth about it that uh, you know that I was expecting more once I got there. And then it was only okay to me. The biggest letdown, though, for me was was Spider Man too, because I I, uh-huh. I like Spider Man the the character, and I want to like those movies. But I just I don't know. I I think this this one was a a it was a major letdown for me, and B I think it proves I just don't care enough about this property to ever get enthusiastic about it. And and apparently Sony feels the same way because they keep that you know they push back the third one pretty far and i i i think it didn't do so well either so i mean it's still look it made a lot of money but it didn't do marvel well or or anything like that so i think that one disappointed a lot of people and it came and and went it disappeared quickly too yeah like you don't even think about that movie that should be a huge tentpole movie and like you don't even think about it coming out this summer yeah yeah and i'll i i mean i don't know that i ever care to watch it again i mean you know when the third one comes out i'll watch it again just because that's what i do but i'm not I'm not, I didn't buy it. I'm not excited about it. Um, it just didn't – I don't know. It didn't do that well here. It did great that first week and then it kind of – it just really died out very quickly. Yeah, it did. Richard, biggest disappointment? Kent, you and I are on the same page. Mine's a tie between A Million Ways to Die in the West and Neighbors. Yeah. I'm a comedy guy. I love comedy. Like the – like you said, Kent, the brains behind both of those comedies and uh, they were – in my opinion – and we're kind of with the consensus on on ways to die in the West, but we're kind of against it in neighbors. I thought they were both actually pretty bad, like not even mediocre. Oh, I uh, thought a million ways was I'm yeah. never seeing that again. I thought that no. was offensively bad. It was yeah. just horrible. Yeah, it was like a TV movie. Right. Uh, yeah, it was really bad. Which is yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot to be said about that, but uh, yeah. So mine's a tie between those two. Yeah, I I can't agree with you more. Very bad. Uh, also bad was Transformers. Uh, that doesn't need to be really. Yeah, that's expected. At that's least. really expected. Yeah. Pretty bad. Uh, some pretty bad movies this summer. We didn't see a lot of them because we, they weren't worth our time. Blended was another one that I'm sure <laughs> would be on the list had we taken the time to screen it, but didn't want to waste our time really with that. Um, heard that was bad too. Did you ever see it, Brian? I know you see everything. No. So, no. No, I I draw the line on uh Adam Sandler movies, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. And understandable. Unfortunate for who? Adam <laughs> well, Sandler. Uh, for all of us because I I I mean we we all like Adam Sandler. He just does crappy movies. I yeah. mean that's just the the truth of the matter. So, um yeah. Th- that's one that you, you can't be disappointed in because you can't you can't have expected it to be good. Same with like Transformers or yeah, uh, some of those other those other films. Right. Films, I say, not movies. Films. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on to biggest surprise. This is my personal favorite category for our, our little recap here. Um, let's see. Biggest surprise is going to come down to two movies for me that um, that came out back to back. I'm going to say Edge of Tomorrow mm. uh, really surprised me. I haven't seen it again, but um, I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. Really surprised me with how great it was, and it surprised me how bad it did too. Like I mentioned earlier, yeah. um, it, it sort of did. It made you know three million dollars a week all summer, which is pretty good if you can stay in uh, above one million a week uh, for two months. That's pretty good. And uh, after that was Twenty Two Jump Street, which yeah. blew my mind. It's my favorite comedy of the summer. I know there are other movies that we could consider here. 
I don't really consider Chef a comedy because yeah. it has other more dramatic aspects of it. But as far as pure comedy, this summer was Twenty Two Jump Street easily. It was it was hilarious. I mean, I laughed out loud over two dozen times, to, and that and that's being you know that's that's uh not being generous. I I probably laughed more than two dozen times in yeah. the theater out loud, which never happens with me. I, I really was surprised by how much I enjoyed 22 jump street. Not only, you know, the movie it was, but that it was, they didn't even made a sequel to that movie. And then that, that sequel was better than the original, which I would thought would be hard to do. So those are my two biggest surprises of the summer. Brian, what's your biggest surprise? It could be good or bad. It could be a surprise that it was so bad too. You know, uh, 22 jump street was the, the first one that came to mind just because I didn't, I, I didn't love the trailers and I really love the first 21 jump street. So I kind of expected it was going to be a downgrade. And instead, as you mentioned, Kent, it's just, that was a, it's a hilarious movie. Like I don't think we're going to see a funnier movie than that this year, at least for me personally. Um, I guess the other one though, to mention a, another movie since you covered 22. So well, um, Snowpiercer really took me by surprise, yeah. if for no other reason than I I had not heard of it until like a week before I was able to see it. And I I don't think I love, love, loved it the way that some people did, but it was such a cool concept and the acting is really good by the you know, Chris Evans especially is is really, really good in that and I think made a case for being an action star outside of Captain America. Uh yeah, I really dug Snowpiercer quite a bit and i i definitely would not have told you that i was gonna be into that uh two weeks before i saw it you know that one will be on my top 10 of the year i i'm pretty sure that yeah one's gonna see, work i'm not its as high on it as i'm you really are, high on it really i saw it, it i've seen it three times so far mm-hmm. i i loved that movie uh highly recommended good choice i'm glad you liked it we never really talked about it on the show i don't think um but I, i'm glad you enjoyed snowpiercer because i thought it was a cool cool little movie uh, yeah. Cool little contained little movie, uh, Richard. And it took off too, man. It like, did. That got, that got popular so fast on via on video on demand. It was it yeah. was on the top of all the lists I saw for that type of stuff. So yeah, got good word of mouth for it. Richard, what was your biggest surprise? Mine was probably, and I agree with with all of your surprises thus far. Um, Twenty two Jump Street was, you know, like you said, Brian, pretty bad trailers and a pretty good movie. I loved Edge of Tomorrow quite a bit, um, but mine's probably going to be just how good because I. I apparently like Marvel because of how they released it. Kind of thought of Captain America as a little bit of a second tier mm-hmm. hero, especially after being kind of outshining the Avengers. But that was a pretty pretty good little movie. Really enjoyed it and, and liked the kind of espionage elements of it. And uh, to me, it was as good as really any Marvel movie they've thrown out at us yet. So uh, kind of fun to watch that one really surprise and, and grow to new heights that I, I didn't think it had before. Yeah. No, I agree. It didn't feel like Marvel at all to me. It felt like a born identity or a, uh, just a great spy film, a, a Bond movie, or something like that. It uh, it really surprised me. So, is it safe to say, guys, that this was the best year Marvel's had? Maybe not financially, but cinematically, could could this be the best year since? <sighs> That's tough I mean, to say. I mean, last year it's... was Thor: The Dark World, and what else was it last year? Iron Man Three. Yeah, yeah, that was bad. I last think year. what they did this year. Avengers is always going to be their biggest property, I think, but I think they proved that they're they're the big guy on the block. Like they're, everybody else is is contending for second place, really, because they put out two properties that I would imagine, like you just said, Richard. I would think that both of these properties would be considered 
the second tier of what Marvel has to show. There's no Iron Man. There's no Robert Downey Jr. There's no real star power, uh, at least, you know, as far as history is concerned between those two films. And they're the two biggest movies of the year. And, uh, and, and, and not only financially, but are, we're very well received from critics and audiences alike. So that's a big deal to pop out two movies within the span of four months that probably weren't that big of a deal coming into the year and just, ripping everybody else to shreds yeah it's impressive and to me it'll be interesting to see whether they've done enough to hype up avengers 2 i think it'll be big but i think that people are more into seeing more guardians now than they are like craving another avengers movie does that make sense like the only movies we have since avengers was thor the dark world uh, iron man 3 and captain america which will by the time uh, Avengers two comes out. will be like a year after the last or two years after or, uh, over a year after Captain America, the winter soldier. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's going to seem like the, for that part of the cinematic universe that that part has, the buzz has going to be died down I, a little bit. Does that make sense? I'm going to, I'm going to play the other side of that a little bit. I think what they're doing is really smart because I think they're seeing, I think they're seeing DC and Warner Brothers like every single thing that happens on that set. We got to let everybody know. Here's a picture of Wonder Woman. Here's a picture of right. of jacked up Batman and whatnot. And I think they're kind of slow playing it with this is one of the three or four biggest movies in the history of cinema. We don't need to let you see every single little piece that comes out. I think you're going to start getting a barrage of trailers and stuff like that probably at Christmas. And it's just going to build to i I think i would be very surprised if avengers 2 is not the biggest movie of 2015 before star wars comes out at least you know i think that's gonna be i I agree with that i'm saying that i i'm surprised the release schedule for the movies wasn't more spread out to Mm. to the release of avengers like there's nothing coming out this fall that's marvel or the beginning of next year does that make sense like people are gonna have forgotten about the winter soldier by the time avengers 2 comes out not that that's going to hurt the box office at all but um sure. it's just it's just that we got those three movies i'm surprised they didn't try to do a different you know like a hawkeye black widow hulk something other than just the sequels to the other movies that they had before avengers does that make sense like there was yeah, no really other awesome. build up to avengers 2 other than those movies and uh, yeah. to me thor the dark world is just pointless I mean, oh, I, I think agree. we said in that episode yeah. that 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 movie's just going to be like no one is going to care. No one you don't have to see it to even remotely know what's happening in the other other movies. And so far that 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 has been pretty accurate uh in my opinion. So, yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting to see next year, next summer. It's big. What else comes out next year that we have to look forward to besides uh The Avengers 2? I know we were sort of discussing this last couple weeks ago that it's going to be a pretty big uh, summer. I think uh, Tomorrowland comes out. The Brad Bird sci-fi movie with George Clooney attached with a Disney uh, movie. What else? Anything else? Summer Jurassic 20? World, right? Jurassic World, uh, Fast and Furious Seven, right? Um, Pitch Perfect let's Two. See. Pitch Perfect Two is going to be big. Uh, let's see. Entourage, what else? We got? Matt, obviously, Ant Man, <laughs> Mad Max, uh, Paul Blart too. So that's I'm really excited about that one. Fantastic Four. Are you gonna have to update your tattoo? Yeah, obviously. Come on, okay. I'm a pretty <laughs> serious fan. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic Four yeah. could be big. Yeah, Terminator, Genesis. Uh-huh. Uh huh. 
uh, Assassin's Creed, Goosebumps, Man from Uncle. <laughs> P- Pixar's Inside Out could be big. Yeah, 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 yeah. June. Yeah, next year is stacked. Like right now, just looking at I talked about this summer. It felt like there's one movie per week. Next, next I think year, Warcraft the is summer is too. not that way. Yeah, I don't know when it is, but I think you're right. I, I saw a trailer for it at, or they they showed one at Comic Con or something. Oh, okay. For it, so maybe it's like March or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see it, but I I think you're right. I I'm, I'm probably I'm not a big. I don't play Warcraft. I just know that the it'll do well. Yeah, it's uh, a fan base. It, it's got yeah. a it's got a big. Uh, Got a big fan base. So if turtles, if turtles did well, yeah, turtles second highest grossing uh, movie. I think it's made two hundred million domestically so far. So oh, not crazy. a not a failure at all by any means, which is unfortunate. But uh, we'll see this. We'll see the sequel here come twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen is shaving up to be just as big as twenty because since they pushed uh, Dawn of Justice back and they and uh, we have we've confirmed another Star Wars. Uh, directed by Gareth Edwards for uh, for that year. Pretty, I'm almost more excited. So for they're that going back him. to back years with that. They're doing every year starting in 2015 uh, for Star Wars. Even I'm excited about that. Yeah, <laughs> but it's only gonna it's gonna be um, like Episode Seven, and then you know the year after it's gonna be a standalone, just you know based on That's one right. character film, and then they're doing an episode, and then another standalone. So it's every other year is gonna be a continuation of the story with these little side movies, which is a perfect strategy in my opinion. That's what I'm saying. I'm surprised Marvel didn't try to do that with the Avengers, you know, try try to squeeze out one more side movie out of, um, out of the Hulk or something. I think that that could have bridged the gap between Captain America, the winter soldier and Avengers two, but we will see. So without further ado, guys, let's move on and let's talk about the matrix. You are a slave born into a prison. For your mind. The Matrix is a system, Neil. That system is our enemy. Try to realize the truth. What truth? Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. And we are the cure. So, like you guys, um, you know, it's hard to ignore the, the Phoenix years, but I guess should we focus on the Dallas years with the title? And just ignore the Miami and Toronto. Oh, the movie, The Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It is. My bad. The uh, not the basketball player. Okay. Sean, the Matrix Sean Marion. Marion. No. It's not. Let's, just let's sh- do that for our next throwback. It's just the Sean Marion episode. <laughs> American. We'll probably get him on. Just offer him some candy and tell him we're big fans. Brian Gill, I'll let you start this off. I know you've got strong maybe opinions about this. Uh, passion for this movie, maybe if I'm uh, wording that correctly. So. I'm excited to talk about this. I screened this today, and so it's fresh on my mind. I know you screened it a few days ago before we even decided to talk about The Matrix because, yeah. you know, you, you watch every movie every day, basically. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all I routine. do. I sit down and watch 360 movies yep, every day. exactly. So uh, sort of give us your general thoughts about this, where, were you, where you first saw it, mm. how has your opinion changed over 15 years before we get into our you know, impressions of this last screening. So go ahead. Sure. I think 15 years ago, this was one of my probably five favorite movies. I, and it was a huge, it's had such a huge influence on action movies and sci-fi movies and, and all of that. I think it's, I mean, it still plays out in, in pop culture. Somebody on one of the people doing a game on Jimmy Fallon the other day made a matrix reference, like during the, like playing huge 
beer pong or something. I don't remember who it was, but somebody made a big deal out of it. Um, it's a, it's still got like a, a huge relevance as far as its its impact on pop culture. Yeah, I think five, like fifteen years ago, it would have been one of my my very favorite movies. Ten years ago, I still had a very healthy respect and appreciation for it. Five years ago, I still I think it was like a hey man, I really still like that movie, but it's it's starting to to lose some of its cool, I guess, or its appeal. And I watched it. I don't know, maybe a month ago, maybe two or three weeks, something like that. And, you know, there's still, I think there's still a lot to like about it. It just, it still has some of the same, it still has some value, I think. It just doesn't hold up very well at all. And I, it doesn't help that Keanu Reeves is not a good actor. And so <laughs> 15 years later, he, he looks worse, I think. When you, when, when the, uh, when the other stuff around it, the special effects and the storyline and, and the the fighting and whatnot, the action sequences, when they start to lose some of their luster because of you know the time aspect, then you get really down to the you know the the bones of it. And at the bones of it, Keanu Reeves is an awful actor. And even if in a role like this that he was, I don't know, it's kind of geared towards his particular brand of acting. It still kind of rubs you the wrong way. The technology's just is kind of embarrassing how far behind it is. And I know, I know that it was made 15 years ago, so it was pretty cutting edge technologically at that point, but it just, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't look near as good uh, in 2014 as it did in 1999. You know, I don't know. I don't know how this, it's gotten worse every time I watch it, honestly. And so I don't know how well this will hold up in uh, another 10 or 15 or whatever years. I don't know that this is a movie that, my son is going to sit down and watch and enjoy when he's, you know, 15 or, or 18 years old or whatever. Wow. Surprising comments. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I hadn't, I, I had not seen this movie in, in four or five years before I, before I watched it uh, last month. And so my feelings on it, I think I defended it on the show before because I know Richard's not a, not a huge fan. Spoiler alert. Uh, he'll have more to say on that. But um, I've always kind of taken taken up for it because I think it – if nothing else, it's a, it's had a major impact for, on a, from a pop culture standpoint. I just don't know that it's, it's going to be something that I'm going to care about in another five or ten or however many years. Yeah, sure. Richard. Yeah, well, this is a movie you know I first saw when I was like in middle school in '99 when it came out. Saw it several times through high school people's homes. Uh, went to you know I think I was at a midnight screening of one of the sequels. Uh, a movie I had to watch a lot more in college because I took a lot of philosophy classes and all the Plato theory of forms and Immanuel Kant and stuff that's in there. Uh, they forced that down your throat, and uh, it's a way to get the cool kids to enjoy the philosophy. And so watching the uh the uh watching it in the last few days, you know, it's it's certainly a I it's just not a movie I enjoy very much, but it is something that like I do very much recognize the importance of. It's seminal. Matrix like just is 1999 to me in a lot of different ways. I confuse it often, you know, the whole bullet time thing. I always confuse with that one corn video. But other, other than that, <laughs> got the life. No, I a think it's video. I always just assume it's part of the Matrix because they both <laughs> were the first two times I saw Bullet Cam. Yeah. The only other movie that's kind of like that that's so like well known for its time 
and and it's not something I care too much about is Forrest Gump, but this is a much better movie than Forrest Gump in my opinion. Uh, yeah. But you're right, Brian. Keanu just you know while Tom Hanks tries to save Forrest Gump, Keanu just tries to ruin uh, <laughs> <laughs> this movie. And Lawrence Fishburne's uh, just not a fan ever of mm. his particular brand of of, of tomfoolery. Watch your language, sir. <laughs> you know the Wachowskis' career after. Has backed me up probably too much. It's certainly not nearly as bad as anything else they've done, but it's it's not as good as a lot of people make it out to be. But it's still, if I were to rate this movie now, I would probably give it like a B plus. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I don't like it. I just don't think it's an, an A plus movie. Sure, I um, I can't argue with you. It's people hold this movie in such high regard in their mind. This is the yeah. same same thing I said about. The Ninja Turtles, that people get all defensive when you say Ninja Turtles are gay or that, uh, you know, only only losers like that. Be like, dude, I used to like that when I was little. You can't make fun of that. Well, have you seen it lately? You know, if you go back and it's the same thing with this, like uh, you might have liked it when you were in middle school, like most of us were when we saw it or in in high school. But uh, but it's 15 years later. Uh, go back and watch it and you might have a different uh, opinion on it. So the I electric think- company is still great, though, right? <laughs> sure, I'm assuming. What I about mean, Lamb Chop? Yeah, still quality. Wishbone, wishbone, please. Good, still okay. So I think people have this on a on a pedestal, and they and they just refuse to get off that pedestal and and defend this movie. I mean, I agree with you. I I think Brian, you said that this lives up or it sort of has a legacy and a big fan base. I think that this movie didn't live up to its potential as far as that goes uh, 15 years later. Certainly not um, the like we've seen the Harry Potter fan base go crazy, the uh, Lord of the Rings, um, even sort of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe type. Like, you don't go to cons and see dudes dressed as Neo. But the, the, the source material lends itself to that exactly. But yes. it, it, it just hasn't spawned that the fanatics that... Right. Uh, you would think that it would do that. It had the potential I, to do when it came out, you know. I, and I think that's two. That's, there's two reasons for that. One, the sequels are terrible, yeah. and so you don't have an epic story the way you do with some of these others. But but two, and this kind of plays into why it doesn't hold up so well. Uh, there's not any costume design so much as super goth late '90s, like, and that is <laughs> such a look that is that was that is not in at all, even in a cosplay sort of situation. You know, yeah. it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a film that lends itself to that kind of thing because it is so locked into, is so locked into the '90s, and it and it, man. Th- we can talk more about the sequels as if you want as we go, but good gracious, those I'm are good. terrible. I mean, in the movie, as Morpheus says, the simulation known as the Matrix is meant to simulate the peak of humanity, which was 1999. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. I didn't. I wasn't aware of that, but uh, it's moving. Yeah, because I think there's a lot better times than. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Uh, It was stars were Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, it was was a pretty good time if you were a Nokia salesman. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) or Fred Durst. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. Uh, no, I mean, it, it's true. I mean, people hold this up to such a high standard. Uh, they don't go back and watch it. I mean, Trinity, Carrie Ann Moss, I mean, she, she just looks like a leather factory just barfed all over her. <laughs> I mean, it looks ridiculous how much leather she's wearing. At least Neo's not covered in leather. 
I mean, she's like shiny the entire movie. It's uh, it's really bad. Just uh, just bad. Take it off though. After this. <laughs> what I was about to say is, this movie has really not uh, done any favors for any of the actors involved. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing Lawrence Fishburne has done since The Matrix was reprise his role as Morpheus in a Kia commercial. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, and Keanu Reeves, like you said, Brian, I mean, he sort of has made this movie his career. I yeah. give him credit for not trying to be more than he is in <laughs> uh, trying to be this sort of, you know, Oscar-hungry actor or something like that. Uh, you know, he does... Man of Tai Chi and 47 Ronin and sort of Constantine does these little movies that uh, his specific fan base would love, but doesn't try to uh, over push his acting ability at all, which I appreciate. So um, I would say Keanu Reeves has surprisingly still has a somewhat uh, respectable name in Hollywood, despite uh, the dozens of bad films he's come out with since then. (laughs) But I, I do agree. He He's a pretty decent choice for at least the martial arts aspect of this. I would have loved to see, you know, look, looking back in hindsight, the fact that Will Smith passed on this movie to do Wild Wild West, I just kept yeah. thinking to myself, how awesome would this movie be with Will Smith as Neo? Like, how much better would it be? I think it would have been really uh, a lot, even a lot better than or more well received than it was at the time. Because Keanu Reeves still has sort of a, uh, how should I say this, non-likable personality. (laughs) And uh, it would have been interesting to see Will Smith in this role. That's just what I was thinking of when I was watching uh, a lot of the scenes, especially this stuff with – and let's talk about plot right now. But, I mean, I looked down at my my clock while I was watching this, and we're a good hour and – 15 minutes into the movie and, and Morpheus is still explaining the matrix to Neo. And I was like, when I don't remember it being that long, the whole intro to this universe. I don't remember it being that long, but I think Will Smith would have done great as the uh, sort of fish out of water uh, aspect of, of Neo's character. But I mean, that, that just dragged a lot to me. And there are some memorable sequences in there that I'll, I'll mention later, but, um, I don't remember that stuff being that drawn out. Does that make sense? Yeah, there is some, I think, you know, this is a movie that the first time you watch it, it's not overly complicated, but there is a lot to explain. So you're, you're getting that as along with Neo. So that it moves a little faster And that once you know what's happening and you're rewatching it, you're right. It kind of drags and it feels like this is the setup is taking forever to, to get to. Um, I I agree with you there. It just sets it up. It's like, well, if we're going to spend an hour and 20 minutes setting this up, I mean, at least we're going to have two sequels where things can actually happen. You know, it's setting up for sequels that, uh, I mean, like we said, I guess don't live up to uh, their potential at all. That's a, it's almost another, another episode in itself. But um, Mm. that's just what I noticed. This last screening was at that first part uh, sort of drags for me personally. Anything drag for you? Brian, anything you disliked particularly on this last screening? No, I mean it's it, it is what it is, and it's fine. And you know, it lo- the movie looks good still. I think I, the Blu-ray copy that I have is was really it, I don't know. It looks great. There's a couple of action sequences that are just are really really good. So no, it's it's a fine it's fine it's fine for what it is. It just 
it's not something that is as good as it's not something as good as I remember it, you know, from my first viewing or two and and so on. And it's not a movie that is going to I don't know, that's going to inspire me to get excited about, you know, in the future. Um, But I don't know that there's anything particularly wrong with it beyond just it's kind of outdated. That's that's really the 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 worst thing about it, which is not its fault necessarily. Um, it just I don't know. It just doesn't. It just doesn't hold up the way that you would hope that a sci-fi movie would. Nothing screams 1999 like going into a club and Rob Zombie's Dracula playing. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like oh gosh, part. yeah, cringe, cringe central. <laughs> Richard, anything you that stuck out as uh, pretty bad this last time that you don't remember. Brian touched on it earlier, and, and I was going to go on a long one and rant about it, but he said it better than I could. The fashion in this movie is. I mean, as someone that doesn't even care, I can barely dress myself. Uh, really noticeably odd and very of its time. And when you're doing a movie that's in a different kind of time and world, uh, like you said, it's really weird how hard they stuck to the late 90s. It's funny looking back because let's pick stuff that's going to be timeless. I mean, leather's never going to go out of style. Leather's been <laughs> yeah. around for 200 years. Uh, no, give it uh, three years and... Uh, <laughs> and we're, we're good. We're already laughing at that three years later. But yeah, no, you're right. It's um, it's 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 a cringe. It it really is. But um, I mean, what stuck out to me is there's a lot of iconic moments in this movie, and uh, mm. there's some great uh, camera work in this movie. Shot composition is way better than I remember it being. You know, there's a lot of subtle special effects here that um that really work. Specifically, my favorite shot of the film is maybe when Morpheus has his hand out with the, with the pills, red and blue pill, and they show the shot of his face and you see the reflection of each hand in his, his glasses. And, uh, and then Neo has to sort of pick the pill. I think that was a great little way to, to show that scene. Uh, the jujitsu sequence itself is, you know, probably the best mainstream martial arts stuff that we've gotten in 15 mm. years, I mean, Kill Bill 1 and 2 come to mind. Uh, but I'll, even those movies take something from The Matrix as far as yeah. uh, the how the shots were or how the scene was shot. Right. But, and both of those those sequences have been played out over and over and over again in the 15 years since. Like People right. have generously borrowed from those sequences for sure. Yeah. I think what The Matrix do, does better than anything is it sort of brings about so many aspects of science fiction, martial arts, filmmaking, and puts them all into one giant movie. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. yeah. That's what's kind of great about it. You can go back and, and compare it to other films, like specifically uh, the fighting sequence that I'm, I'm talking about, the jujitsu sequence, uh, Fist of a Legend from 1994. Uh, you can almost put them back to back, shot for shot, uh, even to the point where, uh, where Neo knocks Morpheus down or, and vice versa. And he turns around and sort of does the little wave toward him, you know, like yeah. bring it on. Uh, a trope that's been replicated numerous times in, in mm-hmm. film since. But, um, you know, they, they do. They, they pay homage to a lot of science fiction and martial arts films of the past and, and bring it into a modern setting, a, a science fiction setting, if you will. So that's, that's what I really enjoy about this film. I think that's what it did more than anything was make sci-fi cool again. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. 
what what else came out that year? Star Wars Episode One was that year. I mean, I can't remember mm-hmm. a science fiction film from the '90s that really sticks out, besides maybe Jurassic Park. But that's really sort of the other end of the spectrum here. Men in Black a little bit maybe. Men in Black, Men in Black a little bit, yeah, more for, for of a family movie. Yeah, sure. Though I mean, but this is like other than Men in Black, this is it for '90s science fiction. And it's it has stood the test of time. Better than a lot of mm-hmm. films have from that uh, that time period, but I mean, I I just think it's funny or it's kind of cool actually. Philip K. Dick, who's sort of the most well known science fiction writer of his time, uh, he was active from like the fifties to the seventies and and wrote a lot of short stories that you know have inspired a lot of great films. Um, the Android's Dream of Electric Sleep. Right. She became uh, Blade Runner. Right. Uh, his story called The Minority Report obviously became Minority Report. He did Adjustment Team, which was the Adjustment Bureau. Uh, a Scanner Darkly, also the Re- Richard Linklater film, which stars Keanu Reeves, um, mm-hmm. was made in 2006 as a Scanner Darkly. We can remember it uh, for you wholesale uh, is uh, Total Recall, which has mm-hmm. been remade twice since then. But he gave a little speech in 1970. Four or 77, uh, I can't remember the exact year, actually. And he said that uh, that he was having weird dreams randomly about this sort of exact thing, uh, about a simulated reality. And, uh, and he kept having these weird dreams, and he said that somebody came to him and told him basically that the entire world was a simulation. And it's so kind of eerie that uh, I'm going to play the clip for the listener right now. I, in my stories and novels, often write about counterfeit worlds, semi-real worlds, as well as deranged private worlds, inhabited often by just one person, while meantime the other characters either remain in their own worlds throughout or are somehow drawn into one of the peculiar ones. This theme occurs in the corpus of my 27 years of writing. At no time did I have a theoretical or conscious explanation for my preoccupation with these pluriform pseudo-worlds, but now I think I understand. What I was sensing was the manifold of partially actualized realities lying tangent to what evidently is the most actualized one, the one which the majority of us, by consensus gentium, agree on. Later that day, back home again, but still deeply under the influence of the sodium pentothal, I had a short, acute flash of recovered memory. Then in mid-March, a month later, the total body of memories, intact and entire, began to return. You are free to believe me or to disbelieve, but please take my word on it that I am not joking. This is very serious, a matter of importance. At that time, I had no idea what I was seeing. It resembled nothing that I had ever heard described. It resembled plasmic energy. It had colors. It moved fast. It collected and then dispersed. But what it was, what he was, I am not sure even now. In other words, it's a common theme in my writing that a dark-haired girl shows up at the door of the protagonist and tells him that his world is delusional, that there's something false about it. Well, this did finally happen to me. I even knew that her hair would be black. I had an actual complete sense of what she would look like and what she would say. 
She did appear. She was a total stranger. And she did inform me of this fact, that some of my fictional works were in a literal sense true. We are living in a computer programmed reality and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs. We would have the overwhelming impression that we were reliving the present deja vu perhaps in precisely the same way, hearing the same words, saying the same words, I submit that these impressions are valid and significant. And I will even say this, such an impression is a clue that at some past time point, a variable was changed, reprogrammed as it were, and that because of this, an alternative world branched off. My point is it's not an original idea, the fact that this no. world could be a computer simulation Plato thought of it 3,000 right. years ago. Exactly. It, I mean, uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, too, the Joseph Campbell uh, mm-hmm. book. I mean, this movie takes a lot of that same uh, ty- type of storytelling and uh, puts it into a modern context. So uh, I just thought that little speech was really cool. It really um, shows, first of all, the creativity of that guy. But, I mean, he's yeah. speaking truthfully there, that somebody literally came to him and said, okay – a lot of the stuff you've been writing is way more truthful than you think it is. <laughs> and uh, and it's just a really creepy sort of little foreshadowing for, for the events to come. But um, really cool little insight there that I, uh, that I went back and looked at on, on, this, on this past screening. But as far as iconic scenes, this movie's chock full of them. Shot composition is yeah. great, like I said. But my one complaint about shot composition is that there's so much green. And I, I know that that's a way to tell apart Zion, the sort of the real world and the Matrix, the simulation. The Matrix world is all green, so I guess a, a subtlety like that, a, an average viewer could sort of subconsciously tell the difference between the two worlds. But on this past viewing, it was like it reminded me of the Secret Life of Walter Mitty last year, where just mm-hmm. everything was blue, like everything uh, in this movie. Even the little book that Neo has the mini disc. First of all, he has a mini. He's giving out a mini disc <laughs> to a to a fellow hacker. Huh. He keeps mini discs in like this green booklet. Uh, even uh, even Agent Smith in the interrogation scene with Neo has all of Neo's records in a green folder. It was just overkill on the green this time, it, it, and it made in certain shots made Neo's lips look like bright orange, almost neon orange, because of the color correction that they used. But so I found that distracting on this past viewing that I didn't previously know. But what were your what were some of your favorite parts of this, uh, Richard? You know, I know they had other movies uh, planning on, and and Brian, you guys talked about and Kent that they're they're building towards something else, which is why much of the first movie's expo- exposition. There we go. Uh, but I did kind of enjoy um, how they ended the movie and would have been fine with it ending there. You know, just I have always kind of liked that ending and thought it was thought it was creative. But uh, I'm trying to think of anything else besides that. But I think it's a tight little, you know, when you look at it by itself, a, a nice little sci-fi m- movie parable, uh, philosophical treatise, whatever you want to think about it as. Uh, and I just wish so badly it had, they had just left it at that. Um, the mystery yeah. of it is kind of what's what's fun about it. I think um, once you remove that, it's it it loses a lot of its element um, when you kind of over-explain it. But uh, yeah, that would probably be it. The, the last act I really like. 
That's a really good point. This movie suffers, this franchise suffers from just overkill. Yeah. There's no mystery left to it at all. Uh, when, and the, the, the last two movies are so bad. I saw them in the theater probably right when they came out. And, uh, and they came out six months apart, which was kind of unheard of for that time. I think it was 2003 mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, when they came out. They came, like, one came out in May and one came out uh, in the fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw them in the theater really excitingly, and I uh, haven't seen them since, but still remember them vividly, like how offended I was that they did that with the story. Uh, I think there's one memorable sequence in those two films, which involves a highway chase, and yeah. uh, and that's a really well done uh, sequence. But other than that, it's just what wow. it's like. This is not the Matrix I remember. Thankfully, they redeemed themselves with Speed Racer, though shortly thereafter. <laughs> right, uh, I've, yeah. I've got high hopes for Jupiter Ascending, but give them time, guys. They're they're perfecting their craft. Uh, give them give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, well, one more scene I want to mention as iconic is the lobby shooting yes. sequence, yeah. and uh, the the best line maybe in the whole script. And it's sad that this is the best, most well composed line in this <laughs> in the script is. Uh, please take all metallic objects and put them in the tray. And then Neo just opens his coat and it's full of machine guns. I mean, how cool is that? It's like, yes, like it's about to go down. That was, that was awesome. And still is awesome. Every time I see it, that is still, there's a lot of parts of this film that I don't think hold up anymore. As I've said over and over again in this podcast, that scene is not one of them. That is an awesome, awesome action sequence. That's one of the better sequences of the last 20 years. Brian, uh, from an action standpoint, what was your favorite part of this last viewing? Or oh, uh, it's, it's that scene. It's it's that scene by far. That that scene is where even if the rest of the movie was bad, which it's just, which this, it's not. Even if the rest of the movie was bad, I think it would be worth it for that scene because it's such a cool sequence um, and very. I don't know, man. I I got. I remember watching that that particular sequence in the theater for the first time, and almost coming out of my seat because I was just so pumped up. Like it was such a cool scene, uh, and lots of people died, which is truly unfortunate. Maybe it shows what's wrong with me and the rest of America. But uh, really, really great sequence that I don't. I mean, like I said, the rest of the movie could suck, and I'd still probably go ahead and watch it again just just for that scene. It reminds me a lot of uh, you mentioned earlier. Can't uh, another movie from '99? The uh, the Phantom Menace is not a good movie, but the the battle between Darth Maul and Qui Gon and and Obi Wan Kenobi is really good, and it it almost it almost makes the rest of that movie watchable. So that sequence kind of brings up the Matrix even a grade, and it's and it's a solid. It's a much better film than Phantom Menace is. Well, I mean, okay, each his own. <laughs> right. Uh the lobby sequence itself and some other sequences in the in the film such as the fact that they're in they're birthed in these sort of organic pods by these machines, uh the fact that they're like plugged in from the back of their heads is taken from a little cartoon movie called Ghost in the Shell. It's like a Japanese uh I don't want to say anime, but sort of borderline anime science fiction film from uh, 1995. So go back and look at that if you want to see sort of more of the inspiration for The Matrix. But um, this is really a sort of similar to uh, Total Recall, too. Not a lot of people make that comparison. Uh, it's an obvious one, but not a lot of people talk about it. The fact that uh, you're plugged in, <laughs> you sort of go into this alternate world. Uh, you know, the fact, the sequence, especially when 
Schwarzenegger gets bugged and he like removes the bug from his okay, body. Yeah. Sure. Uh, he removes it from his nose in Total Recall, but uh, Neo sort of gets bugged in his his stomach in this. So that was another little comparison that I was making on this last viewing. So I'm going to go with uh, some problems that I had with it. Um, <laughs> my one problem, and uh, and this is kind of a weird, um, not necessary, I guess it's kind of a weird, <laughs> stupid problem, but maybe the second most iconic sequence or most memorable sequence in the movie is when, uh, when Morpheus calls him on the cell phone and he's instructing Neo how to get out of the office, uh, in sort of our first introduction to Neo, I never understand why he FedExes him a, a cell phone. I just don't <laughs> like he was with Trinity the night before. Why didn't he just get Trinity to hand him a cell phone and say, Hey, you're going to need this. Just hold on to it. You know, I feel phone. like that's a pretty popular trope from this period of time, though. Like, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of movies where a courier delivers a package and it's a cell phone, you know, at, yeah. at that period it, of time. But it arrives you know? precisely when the agents arrive at yeah. his work. And <laughs> I just find it funny every time. Like, well, that was convenient. <laughs> and uh, it just happened to ring exactly. When it I mean, it, it's kind of – I don't know what they're going for. The fact that uh, Morpheus is this all-knowing guy who's who's – Basically, the I mean, memorize the matrix, knows everything, and can look at code and interpret events from code. Do you, do you ever understand that, Brian? Maybe you know more about that than me. When they're looking at screens of code and interpreting it as events uh, in reality or I, in the reality I, of the matrix, I never understood I, that either. I think it's like those uh, those pictures that you used to see at the mall. That's like a schooner inside of a weird picture you know what i'm talking about like on mall rats when the yeah <laughs> the guy's staring at the at the schooner um like you can just like stare that. at you binary can, code and, and yeah. see a program automatically yeah, that's normal i, I think sure, okay right let's if get an it guy and ask yeah him. if you're nerdy enough i guess you could do that <laughs> yeah i don't know it's not simulation I, yeah uh, I don't. That just web web design for my blog made me cry. So it's definitely not me the, that's uh, able to read the the matrix that way. But maybe maybe IT guys can do it. Another issue is the fact that they go and um, meet the Oracle in the matrix. So is she outside of the matrix somewhere plugged in to the matrix? I never understood that. Like, wouldn't the Oracle hey, be in the real world and not in the simulated world? I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Look. The closer you look, the less you see, okay? So just cut it. Morgan Freeman taught me that uh, back in the day, <laughs> thankfully. But, I mean, that that's just like – I don't even know if that matters, but it's just stuff like that confused me back then and still confuses me now. The rules that have been established are poorly established in, in yeah. parts, and it's just hard to follow still to this day uh, in some aspects. I'm sure we're going to get – you know, if you've seen the Matrix Revolutions and they clearly explain, I that's fine. <laughs> Write in all you want, uh, but I I still don't get it. Uh, any problems, Brian, with this plot holes? Yeah, anything? It, oh, I mean, there's there's probably plenty of plot, plot holes, but I I will give it this: it's not. If you will allow it to to, if you'll give it some leniency and just go with it, there's it goes pretty well and it doesn't draw its attention to the plot holes itself. I think, which is a big thing that a lot of movies do. They, they like try to tell you not to pay attention to the plot holes and then they bring attention to them. Um, I think it does a really good job of avoiding those. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's little issues and I don't know that the, the science holds up, but uh, it's, 
it's fine. It doesn't that doesn't necessarily bother me near as much as all the leather. <laughs> it's not nearly as offensive, that's for sure. Yeah, it's not. yeah. The fact that maybe uh, the power of a kiss in, a, in your real <laughs> yeah, world can transcend mean, yeah. seven bullets to the chest. Yeah, never really understood that one. Part. Maybe uh, I, I overlooked that the last time I saw. I don't remember that being the ending, but um, maybe I just go, uh, happily overlooked it last time I watched it. And one more thing, when Keanu Reeves or Neo is in the helicopter, Trinity transforms into a helicopter pilot, mentally only, by the way, into a helicopter pilot, and uh, <laughs> and Neo gets a machine gun and just starts going to town on the side of the building with with Morpheus in it, by the way, the guy he's yeah. trying to save, and uh, manages to not hit Morpheus once with a, a turret of a gun and uh, <laughs> and completely wipes out every yeah. enemy. He can, uh, he can control the Matrix that. now, so he can make all those bullets zip around Morpheus. So and I guess if, if Morpheus is truly the like, transcendent figure, I mean, he's not the one, but if he's Morpheus, then maybe he can dodge bullets mentally? I don't even know what I'm saying. I, I'm just making no sense, but it uh, it frustrates me. Like science, like deep science fiction, sort of frustrates me. If there's if it's not written down, uh, like what what I'm supposed to believe. I mean, this movie just seems almost overly ambitious. Like it uh, throws all this stuff out there without explaining a lot. But I, maybe I need to go back and watch the sequels uh, to to get fully mm, dent the, yeah. get the uh, Matrix experience. So you're probably good. Yeah. I mean, like I said, knowing the Wachowskis, they probably tried to explain it in some weird, subtle way that no one would ever get. Uh, so I'm not too worried about my misinterpretation. Uh, Richard, did you have any uh, – before we hit grades, you uh, have any problems with the overall plot? Uh, anything you know, like that? they do their best. I mean, it's not, it's not a clean Jurassic Park-style uh, explanation, but it's, it's pretty tough territory in terms of that. I'll give it credit for at least – uh, you know, you're right, Ken. It could do a lot better at sticking to some more rules and establishing more rules. But the ones it does establish are are kind of interesting and and provoking in in, in some kind of way. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, no, no real huge issues that you guys haven't already said. There's definitely a lot of plot holes and logic holes and wormholes and different things. Yeah, but this is science fiction. It's to be expected, and it's just up to us. This point of this throwback is to go back, see how it holds up. Uh. See if it's the way we remembered it being in 1999. And uh, in certain ways, it's better than I remember. I'm wearing like Jinkos for this podcast. Oh, that? cool. <laughs> that is cool. I'm wearing soaps. Okay. So I'm going to go do a sick Gr- grind later. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, maybe go grind <laughs> on some walking poles. Yeah. yeah awesome. It's going to be That's great. Cool. You're invited. Uh, cool. I mean, I'll bring $3 bill, y'all. <laughs> already got it. Got it in the uh, old. A skip-proof CD player that I have. No. <laughs> Biggest lie of my childhood, by the way. Skip-proof. Yeah. Okay, I'm slamming it against the table, and it's still skipping. <laughs> Why is this happening? Um, anyway, so, no, I mean, some parts it, it's better than I thought. Some parts it's worse. I mean, I think cinematography and everything is better than I ex- I remembered it to be. Or certainly I can appreciate it more uh, mm. now than I did then. So, uh, let's hit grades real quick. I'm going to go with a solid B. Um, this is not the A that I remembered it being, but it's not the C that it uh, that it could be. I mean, it's a solid little sci-fi film. It has enough enjoyable sequences to for me to overlook the blatant, blatant plot holes in the movie. So I'm going to go solid B. Brian? Uh, I'll go with a B plus. That one sequence in the lobby is 
brings it up a notch for me. It's it's a fine film. Nothing wrong with it so much as just it hasn't aged well. But that scene is so good that uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bump it up a notch above you, Richard. You said B plus earlier. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with that. I'm gonna go B plus. Cool. I mean, uh, I'm glad we did this because we we have sort of randomly discussed this movie in the past. It's good to sort of get our full feelings off about it. Uh, fans, feel free to chime in on the convo. Let us know what you thought of The Matrix and head over to our website, madaboutmoviespodcast.com and click contact and uh, send us your Matrix thoughts. We would love, love to hear them. And so, guys, let's move on and let's hit a weekly recommend. Weekly recommend. I'm going to go sort of the opposite of (laughs) The Matrix science fiction, Rob Zombie, for this uh, recommend. (laughs) I... (laughs) <laughs> and just recommend uh, his entire catalog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy because I'm I'm recommending Power Man Five Thousand. Sweet, I was gonna go with House of a Thousand Corpses. So. <laughs> I love Ten Thousand Corpses. I liked uh, what's the one? I think House of a Thousand Corpses is the one with uh, Rain Wilson in it. Yeah, he has one movie that's got Rain Wilson that was pretty pretty funny for a, a horror movie. But I digress. So I'm gonna go with the recommend of a documentary. I I got to see it for the first time. Believe it or not, I've been had it on the old Netflix queue for a year now, maybe more than a year. And, uh, and it, this, this documentary won best documentary last Oscars. It's called, uh, 20 feet from stardom. Yeah. Which, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen, but, uh, really, really enjoyable documentary, sort of in the same vein as the, uh, as the sound city documentary that we were all pretty fond of and, uh, muscle shoals, which I recommended a couple of, months ago i believe uh over this past summer which is about you know those are both about recording studios but this is more about the music industry itself and about backup singers and sort of the the way that they've stayed you know in the background their entire careers but how underappreciated a lot of them are and uh and how you know they've lent so much to music that you would never really think of and uh it was just a really cool fun entertaining documentary i will say that um not as impactful as I wanted it to be. I don't think it was better than The Act of Killing, but, uh, I mean, that's just... Words can't really describe that that documentary if you've seen it. Um, I'm surprised that it won the Oscar over that, but, I mean, it's, it's highly enjoyable. I mean, I can't really s- complain about it. I mean, I'm recommending it, for God's sake, but really, really fun. It really brings back good memories of a lot of the music, and it made me want to you know, seek out a lot of the records that, uh, that are played in it. So have you, you guys seen it? Anyone? I have. Yeah. I have. You like very it? good. I did. I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, the sequence when I can't remember the, the woman's name anymore, but, uh, the sequence that where they went over the recording of gimme shelter yeah. gave me chills. Like that was such a cool, cool sequence. And I, I also felt like this is a, one of the few documentaries that the, like the the gimmicky stuff really worked really well. Like I, I that's one of the things that I always dislike. I don't like when a documentary uses like reenactments in or adds videos or stuff like that to to the to the documentary. I just kind of want the turn the camera on and see what happens type. But this one, like the post production stuff, was really kind of cool. And, yeah. and in that sequence in particular, it really it gave me goosebumps. Her really name is well. Mary Clayton. Yes. Yeah, that was it, that really was cool. Because so, Gimme Shelter is one of the greatest songs of all time. And that 
listening to watching her listen to it back and it was just her singing like they pulled out every other you know all the instruments and and all of mick and everything else was so cool it was a really really interesting piece of filmmaking i thought i felt like the fact that they just showed up at 2 a.m called the studio owner and says hey we want to cut this song yeah and uh, called her like in her pajamas and she came up there and did it in like two takes Uh, yeah pretty fascinating and pretty cool uh definitely a recommend for me it's on Netflix, 20 Feet from Stardom. It's worth your time, worth a purchase, really, and uh, and definitely worth uh, going back and recognizing uh, the music that these uh, ladies and men uh, brought us over the years. Cool little Springsteen uh, you know, involvement, too, if you're a Springsteen fan. He's in there. Sting has a lot of cool Two, stuff to three, say as four. well. Yeah, <laughs> and he's always great. Uh, future American treasure, Bruce Springsteen, by the way. Uh, so that's my recommend is 20 feet from stardom. Richard. Yeah. I'm going to make mine short. It's football season. Get red zone. <laughs> yes. Boom. Seriously. It will change the way you watch sports. That's my uh, only complaint about working on Sundays is that I don't get to fully indulge the NFL red zone. That's my favorite, favorite part of football season. Yeah. And uh, and that's that's an experience that'll change your view on the NFL and football for sure. That's that's awesome. I'm surprised you have NFL Red Zone, Richard. I thought you had Time Warner. Do they have it? Yeah, you can get it. Oh, nice. I don't, I I I wouldn't be able to go without it. Uh, that's I that's great. Can. I was told you could. Yeah. Uh, you need to check on well, that. I had it last year. I'm fine <laughs> yeah. now. You need to check on that before like you want to die this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can I come live with you guys? <laughs> Yeah, awesome recommend. NFL Red Zone. Just explain what it is really quick. If Yeah, it's a, it's a channel. You don't have to flip around. Instead of having, you know, a lot of times if you get a league pass for a, uh, a sport, uh, you've, you've got an option to watch all the games, which is great, but it's it's tough, you know, especially on an NFL Sunday at noon. There's, there's nine games going on. With Red Zone, it's one channel, and there's one guy on there who's a freak, and uh, yeah. he literally just throws game to game to game rapid fire and every time someone gets in scoring territory it goes to that game and you just sit there and watch touchdowns all day and uh if you play fantasy football or something it's the greatest yeah it always impresses me i mean they go live at noon uh noon our time uh you know new or uh, 1 p.m eastern but they don't get off the air till sunday night football starts at 7 p.m our time eight o'clock so the guy is standing there on set (laughs) for eight hours no joke How does he go to the bathroom? There's a series of hoses. (laughs) It's incredible. I mean, he's live. I mean, he's cutting away every three minutes on something. What a great scandal that would be if the Red Zone host just was in a diaper. (laughs) (laughs) This show is brought to you by Depends. Uh, That would be Saragusa Saragusa comes out. Saragusa, dang it. (laughs) And Demarcus Ware, yeah. I like. uh, uh, I would. I would endorse Depends if they gave me a million dollars. I mean, you'd have to be dumb not to. So yeah, no, it's great. Great recommend and uh, and definitely a freak of that guy. Uh, Siciliano, I think is his name. Really, really a freak. So cool. NFL Red Zone. Brian. Yeah, this movie was on Netflix until yesterday. And so hopefully it will make its way back as is the common case with uh, with Netflix. Movies disappear and then they come back a few weeks later. So hopefully this will come back and you can watch it. Um, it's called The Fisher King, which is a Robin Williams, Jeff Bridges film. Uh, it's been sitting in my queue for ages and I just hadn't ever gotten around to doing it. But I saw that it was going to expire, so I went ahead and watched it. I think I've seen this movie before when I was younger, like on you know TNT or something. 
but certainly didn't sit down and appreciate it. It's a Terry Gilliam film, which means that it's really Terry Gilliam-y. Um, there's, I don't think he knows how to make a film that is not just wacky and nuts. And at times that works really well with the film. And at times I think his, his style almost gets in the way of, of the movie, but at the heart of it, there's three incredible, just really, really good performances. Uh, Robin Williams got nominated for an Oscar. Jeff Bridges probably should have been. And uh, what is her name? Uh, oh, shoot. Mercedes Rule uh, won, I believe, won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. It's a really good movie. It's tough to watch. It's not a – I mean, Robin Williams is insane and he's uh, he, he's homeless and – is he, he thinks that he is a knight and he's got to find the Holy Grail in order to basically to free his his own brain and his soul from the depression that has taken over him. And Jeff Bridges is an alcoholic ex-DJ who feels responsible for what's happened to him and is trying to help him. But uh, So it's not an easy watch, but there's enough Robin Williams crazy comedy in there to make it um, not be just a total beatdown. Uh, but man, it's really, it's really good and it's really powerful. And uh, I, like I said, I hope it comes back to Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, so more people can can check it out. But uh, it's been out there. It's it's an old movie. 1991 is when it came out, so you've had time to check it out. But if you haven't yet, please do. I think it's uh, I think it's definitely worth your time. Right on, Brian Gill. Where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at bgill12, or you can find my writing at canbabiesdrinkredbull.com. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Bardner on the Thought Catalog. Kent, where might I find you? On Twitter at Kent Garrison, and find our show online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. And uh, find us on iTunes, and if you like what we do, leave a five-star review. And on that note, until next time, guys, we will see you at the cinema. Why? Goodbye. Goodbye.